Support for Motley Fool Money comes from our friends at Rocket Mortgage by Quicken Loans, who are excited to introduce their all-new RateShield Approval. If you're looking to buy a home, RateShield Approval is a game-changer. And here's why. Quicken Loans will lock your rate for up to 90 days while you shop. And if rates go up, your rate stays the same. If rates drop, your rate also drops, so you win either way. It's the kind of thinking you would expect from America's largest mortgage lender. To get started, go to rocketmortgage.com. Thanks also to Grammarly. Grammarly is a communication tool that helps people improve their writing to be mistake-free, clear, and effective. Go to Grammarly.com and get 20% off a Grammarly premium account today. Everybody needs money. That's why they call it money. The best things in life are free, but you can give them to the birds and bees. From Fool Global Headquarters, this is Motley Fool Money. It's the Motley Fool Money Radio Show. I'm Chris Hill. Joining me in studio this week, senior analysts Jason Moser, Matt Argusinger, and Ron Gross. Good to see you as always, gentlemen. Hey. hey. We've got the latest headlines from Wall Street. We will dip into the Fool mailbag, and as always, we'll give you an inside look at the stocks on our radar. But we begin with the market in general. Another week of wild swings, and that is including, Jason, that is including the fact that the market was closed on Wednesday in honor of former President Bush's funeral. And when people say that they don't have the stomach for investing, it's weeks like this that just don't help. Uh, well, I guess, but I would flip the coin there and, and say that these are the kinds of weeks that can really help you grow as an investor and become even more uh, emotionally fit to handle future episodes like these, because they're coming one way or another. The longer you invest, the more you have to endure. Plenty of headlines out there. I mean, it's probably not even worth trying to pinpoint just one that's really the cause, uh, but tariff talk, yield curve talk, interest rates, unpredictability of, of what is going to come out of the White House today, tomorrow, next week. Every hour. Probably all contributing <laughs> to this to, to a degree. We're starting to hear the R word. Uh, being kicked around a little bit. Recession uh, is the R word that I'm talking about there. I, you know, we, we do pay attention to that stuff, but, but it's also worth noting that we like to invest with that glass half full philosophy here. Take the longer view because the numbers bear it out. It does work over time. With that said, I mean, I think there is enough reason here to, to start looking at the future and wonder if we aren't going to be stepping into a little bit more of a difficult time. Yeah, it, this is why it's crazy, and you have to kind of ignore some of this macro stuff. Some days, the market loves that the economy is slowing because it will have the Fed take their foot kind of off the tightening gas, if you will. Other days, it's not good because we're headed to a recession and the market sells off. And you have no idea which day tomorrow is going to be a good day or a bad day. Invest in good companies, hold them for the long term. Uh, right. I don't know when this is going to end and how low the market's going to go, but I know one thing. I've bought more stocks personally in the last two months than I have in the oh. prior two years. And I'll leave it at that. I, I'm with him. I mean, I've clicked the buy button a few times myself. And, and I mean, I think it's worth noting, I mean, in this, in this environment, it, you may be scared to buy. Uh, I think it's okay to buy, but I like to focus on what I call the three P's. Ron, you're going to love oh, this. Oh, I'm clicking my pen. Patience, yeah. price, and predictability. Right? We always talk about how you need to be patient as investors. Uh, and, and that also uh, chimes into the making sure you get a decent price, a fair price. But predictability is, is uh, invest in those businesses that, that offer some pretty predictable business models, some pretty predictable revenue streams, things like payment companies, or when you go to get your Dunkin' Coffee every morning, Chris, or when I 
pour that hot cup of Starbucks coffee in my house every day. That's what I mean by predictability. You focus on those three Ps, I think you find yourself holding a lot of really good businesses in your portfolio. Makes good sense. I, too, have committed capital to the markets over the last couple few weeks. Happy to have done so. But I've also put money into index funds, both the S&P 500 and the Russell 2000. Don't be afraid. Uh, participate in the market as a whole. Nothing wrong with that. I love how formal you are. I've committed capital to the market, <laughs> Listen, as opposed to these two guys Sometimes I saying, revert back to Wall Street mode. <laughs> I click the buy button. <laughs> Toll Brothers is the largest luxury home builder in America. Fourth quarter profits rose more than 60%, but shares of Toll Brothers were basically flat this week. Now, what's going on here? This was, this was by all accounts, in, in my view, a good report. I mean, you, you mentioned the, the profits, deliveries, and backlog, were, which are key metrics also, were also at the highest level since the housing crash. But of course, it's, it's all about expectations going forward, and they gave weaker guidance for the current quarter. Uh, C, CEO Douglas Yearly called out rising interest rates, which you that's reasonable. He also talked about, though, the fact that there's, quote, well-publicized reports of a housing slowdown affecting buyer sentiment. I think that's a little odd for the CEO to kind of call out the media about, you know, well, the media is talking about a housing slowdown, so therefore people aren't buying houses. Fake news. I'm not sure I buy that. Uh, but because if you look at, for example, the data from the U.S. Census, new home sales have declined for 11 straight months. So I'm not surprised the media is actually reporting that there is maybe a housing slowdown. Um, but if you step back for a moment, just away from toll, the, it's been a terrible year for the home builders. A terrible time. I mean, and, and rising interest rates are obviously probably to blame most of all in, in affordability. But the S&P Home Building Index down more than 30% this year. And so that's, that's a stark number. I mean, it has, it's been a volatile year, but certainly I don't think fewer industries have fared worse than, than home builders. And so I'm starting to get a little interested in the industry. Stay tuned for radar stocks. We're just across the river from Washington, D.C. Many a politician has done well blaming the media, so why not CEOs, too? Right. Good week for RH Holdings, the company formerly known as Restoration Hardware. Third quarter profits came in strong. A company raised guidance and shares of RH up more than 20% this week, Ron. Holy cannoli, is this one we all missed? Can we agree we all missed? Absolutely. Absolutely. All four of us got this. Stocks up 64% this year, 160% over the last five years. Uh, Kudos to them really reinventing themselves by launching a subscription based membership model, reducing inventory, closing distribution centers building new high-end stores. It's all really paid off for them. Revenue uh, this quarter up 7.4%, 4% increase in comp uh, store sales. Uh, company bought back a ton of stock when it was appropriate to do so. They just increased their guidance, introduced fiscal 2019 guidance, which indicates additional growth coming uh, down the pike. Um, stock still isn't that cheap at 17 times forward earnings. Great job by RH. Of all the information you just shared, I want to focus on one thing, and that is the loyalty program that they started back in 2016. Because not only were the four of us wrong about this company, we were wrong about that. Because they sell high-end, expensive furniture at Restoration Hardware. And all four of us looked at that and said, wait, you're going to have a loyalty? We understand the loyalty program for the daily purchase things like coffee and that sort of thing, but a loyalty program for high-end furniture? And and I... In hindsight, we were wrong, and even in foresight, I would still bet against it. <laughs> well, I was going to say, it doesn't seem to make great sense. But and, and not every company can institute a loyalty program and think that is the cure-all. In this particular case, they were right; yeah, we were wrong. I mean, given what we know today, I just can't say that I'd still put this one at the top of the <laughs> right. list. I just can't do it. Well, I like what you said before the show too about how they've 
they've turned the sh- they've turned the, the retail concept into more of a showcase. Yeah. They've really relied on kind of their back channel, you know, online model. And I just wonder if that's they're just ahead of the, the head of the game here in terms of what this is the future of retail, and RH is is establishing that. Yum Brands held an investor day this week. The parent company of KFC, Pizza Hut, and Taco Bell expects sales to be higher in 2019. But Pizza Hut president Artie Stars made headlines when he said that Pizza Hut has a lot of work to do on its brand. Jason, I don't think any of us disagree with that comment. <laughs> nope, I think we're all in agreement. They are uh, missing the boat here, so to speak. And you know, I mean, it, you think back to the day when the personal pan pizza was so revolutionary, and it just changed the game for so many of us. And, and now they're just getting lapped by concepts like Domino's and Papa John's. And I, I think the biggest challenge Pizza Hut has faced to date it really is revolving around the customer experience in a mobile world. Um, along, alongside an inconsistent delivery experience. And, and I mentioned Domino's and Papa John's. They're the ones that just keep investing in that experience and done so well with it. But, but in the recent analyst day on the transcript there, the management referred to the fact that they're trying to make this pivot from being that 100% dine-in experience that it used to be uh, into being the dine-in experience and delivery experience. And, and they're having trouble making that work. So one of the things they're doing, uh, their delivery provider, Quick Order, uh, that's the e-commerce engine that backs their delivery and mobile experience. They've acquired that business. So Quick Order is not going to be rolled actually into uh, the business. They feel like having that internal control will give them the opportunity to build out a more robust uh, delivery experience. Uh, and, and maybe that works out for them uh, it better. Because historically, Pizza Hut does account for about 20% of Yum's operating income. It is significant. And so they've got a lot of work to do. It, it really does matter. You look at the opportunity that they have right now with Papa John struggling the way it is with the new NFL partnership that Pizza Hut has. We've seen this before where an executive, uh, take Patrick Doyle at Domino's, what was it, 10 years ago, where he came out and said, you know what, our pizza's not very good, we're going to fix that. That was really a great turning point, and that was an opportunity for investors to get in. I'm wondering if this might also be an inflection point, because it seems like every quarter, the story for Yum! Brands is the same, which is essentially, Taco Bell and KFC are doing well, Pizza Hut is struggling. If Pizza Hut actually starts to turn it around, that becomes a much more compelling business to own. I mean, it's a consistent product. I mean, when you compare the three the three concepts, they're all basically kind of the same. They're not exceptional pizza, but but it's pizza nonetheless, and it's easy to get. Uh, it's just Pizza Hut has been tougher to get. Uh, so I think you know, trimming down the menu, making a little bit more sense of it, to building out that that mobile experience, making it easier to order, and, and really coming up with a consistent delivery experience, they have a lot of opportunity there. I mean, that there should be better days ahead. The Rise of the Machines was back in the headlines this week. Stay right here. You're listening to Motley Fool Money. Let's talk about buying a home. There's unpredictability in the stock market, but there's also unpredictability when it comes to buying a home because of rising interest rates. Some folks are getting nervous, and our friends at Quicken Loans are doing something about that. They're calling it the power buying process, and it works like this. Quicken Loans will verify your income, assets, and credit in less than 24 hours to give you a verified approval. That gives you the strength of a cash buyer. Once you're verified, you qualify for their all-new, exclusive rate shield approval. They'll lock your rate for up to 90 days while you shop. And the best part is, if rates go up, your rate stays the same. If rates go down, your rate also drops. So you win either way. It's the kind of thinking you would expect from America's largest mortgage lender. To get started, go to rocketmortgage.com. Rate shield approval only valid on certain 30-year purchase transactions. Additional conditions or exclusions may apply based on Quicken Loans data in comparison to public data records. 
Equal Housing Lender, licensed in all 50 states, and MLSConsumerAccess.org, number 3030. All right, back to the show. Welcome back to Motley Fool Money. Chris Hill here in studio with Jason Moser, Matt Argersinger, and Ron Gross. Shares of Vail Resorts down 15% on Friday after the resort operator lost more money in the first quarter than Wall Street was expecting. Maddie, ski season cannot come soon enough for Vail. That is uh, for sure, Chris. So, seasonally, this is Vail's slowest quarter, as you can imagine. I mean, the ski resorts in North America are still closed. Kids are back at school, so they're not doing all the summer activities at the resorts. But this was uh, so you, you expect them to report a loss, but this was a, a much wider loss than expected. And, and the CEO called out uh, acquisition related expenses and uh, some off season operating losses at some of the newer resorts. So Vail's been in a pretty big acquisition mode over the last few years. They're actually always in that mode. Um, but I'd say on the positive side, you know, you had season pass sales were up 21%. And that's really on, at the unit level the most promising thing. That talks about, you know, the demand for. S- Skiing at the resorts, which obviously feeds into all the other hospitality revenue streams that they they offer, um, and CEO Robert Katz did talk about how the fact that a lot of the early season numbers for a lot of the resorts are doing better. You know, I've owned this stock for a long time. I'm amazed it's down 15 percent uh, on Friday. Uh, it's just really rare to get a, any kind of sell off in this this company, and it's down about 25 percent from its recent high. Dividends almost two and a half percent. This is one, you know, it's it's one of those kind of everlasting companies to me that you want to keep an eye on. I'm assuming that when it comes to the season passes, obviously there are discounts or sort of special deals that they'll throw out every now and then. But I'm also assuming that that's the sort of revenue generator that they can just incrementally tick up year after year. That's right. Tremendous pricing power, always heavy demand. And as they expand the number of resorts underneath the umbrella, the Epic Pass, which is their big you know, uh, season pass, uh, that, that just gets more and more compelling. Third quarter results for Ulta Beauty look good, but shares down 10% on Friday after the cosmetics retailer lowered guidance for the holiday quarter. Yeah, holiday guidance is what folks are are most focused on now in the retail space, and that came in a little light. But boy, oh boy, another one that that I did not participate in, up 190% over the last five years. I didn't believe in the growth story here, but it keeps on ticking. Sales up 16% the last quarter, with comp sales up 7.8%. They continue to put up these incredible growth numbers. That's driven by 5.3% transaction growth, 2.5% growth in the average ticket. So, both there doing the double whammy, leading to great comp store sales. E-commerce, up 42.5%. So, both in-store and out-store, they're, they're getting it done. Um, it's just a great story. They were helped by the tax cut, as everyone uh, was, and uh, EPS was up 28% as a result. Buying back stock consistently, opening new stores consistently, about 40 so far this year. They're up to about 1,160 stores so far, so far, and there really isn't an end in sight. We were talking during the break. The, this is another company that changed its name in the past few years. It used to be Ulta Beauty and Salon. Have they started to de-emphasize the salon part of the business and just focus more on the sort of front of store retail? Front of store retail and obviously online in, in this day and age, you got to focus on that. But the salons are still a part of it. Still putting up a comp store, a same store salon sales that are positive. Definitely contributing to profitability and definitely part of the ongoing rollout. But as you see in the name, per- perhaps not as much emphasis. Altria Group was built on tobacco. This week, Altria announced it is buying a big stake in Kronos, a cannabis producer. This seems like a logical move, Jason. We talked about this a few weeks ago, that this was sort of rumored that they're... I mean, of all the big companies that we hear 
Coca-Cola, Pepsi, sort of kicking the tires on potentially investing in tobacco. Altria was the one that we all sort of looked at and said, "Well, that makes the most sense." Yeah, you're making the move from tobacco to wacky tobacco. Right? I mean, that's. Uh, I mean, I think that's really something that we're going to see more of. I think here in the coming quarters and years. I mean, Kronos is kind of one of those moonshots for for Altria. Altria, obviously, a very big company with plenty in the way of capital resources. But um, I, I think when you look at these. Marijuana companies, these producers, these medical marijuana companies, they're trying to enter a space where the regulatory barriers, particularly here domestically, are still very high. Um, They will come down over time. There's no question there. We're already seeing that trend. The other big hurdle is is one of of capital. I think getting the capital to be able to grow these businesses is is not always so easy. So you see these big players come in and offer this really attractive carrot. It's kind of tough to pass up. We saw Constellation uh, taking partnership in Canopy. Uh, My guess is that Tilray is probably next on this list. I think it at least helps explain somewhat those crazy valuations in the market today. Uh, so you know, it's it's a way for them to gain entry in the space, start building out offerings, distribution for the inevitable regulatory changes that that are coming. Well, we've seen this play out in certainly the beverage industry, whether it's you know craft beer companies starting up and eventually being acquired, or you know locally here in the D.C. area, Honest Tea. Um, Coca-Cola taking a stake years ago in Honesty and, and acquiring it. It kind of makes sense that some of these smaller startup cannabis companies would be very open to, if not being bought outright, certainly this kind of stake. Well, it definitely makes sense for them. I just I just look at the the Altrias and, and Constellations and Cokes of the world who have invested in this. I'm thinking to myself, you, why not just wait to see how this plays out? Don't commit billions of dollars to what should be a fairly commoditized business in the very near future, no matter the size of the market. I just don't think there's going to be a lot of pricing power, and I just think they're going after a little hype to try to diversify their their revenue streams. I mean, to that point, I mean, you're talking about 1.8 billion dollars that Altria is sinking in this, and, and I mean, it's not much bigger than that. Now, granted, these are going to be newly issued shares, so it's going to expand that pool, but that doesn't necessarily mean the share price is going to follow. The market will dictate that, and when you consider the fact that Kronos makes like 10 million dollars a year in revenue. I mean, none of it makes any sense, but but clearly there are some great expectations here. Whether it's something that you smoke or eat or drink, I mean, we're going to see more of this as time goes on. It's just gonna it's gonna take a little while to play out. But I mean, it's not like they're trying to build self driving cars either, right? I mean, I think that's going to take a little bit longer. <laughs> what you want, Altria, just to hike their dividend yet again? Come on, roll the dice. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Amazon has grown its warehouse operations over the years in part by using tens of thousands of robots. This week, one of those robots went rogue and sent 24 <laughs> Amazon employees to the hospital when the robot punctured a pressurized can of bear repellent, causing the pepper spray to spread throughout the warehouse. Ron, <laughs> this, Ron, what am I going to say about that? This is how it begins. <laughs> the rise? The rise of the machines. Because you can maybe talk me into the fact that this was, a, and I'm using air quotes, accident. But if we see anything like this happen again, once is an accident, two times. That's a trend, Ron. It's interesting. Even Jeff Bezos himself has been warning about the rise of artificial intelligence and, and how dangerous it can be um, to, to us and perhaps... Uh, be the end of us one day. So, is this the beginning? Will we look back on this? 
Well, we have to remember these robots are all programmable by humans, I assume. So, you know, even without the artificial intelligence, I feel like, you know, bad actors could get in there, reprogram these things and do some very vicious things. You think one of the programmers in the New Jersey warehouse really had it out for some people on on the floor? on the outs. Echo's going to go rogue. Alexa, turn on the lights. No. (laughs) Alexa, turn off the oven. Uh Uh-uh. Let's go to our man behind the glass, Dan Boyd. Dan, uh, what was your reaction when you saw the news of uh, the robot going rogue? Pure fear. <laughs> it's the it's a nightmare scenario. It's the worst thing that could happen. And it's only the Especially beginning. Especially if you're a bear. <laughs> All right. We'll see you later in the show, guys. Up next, Megan Brinsfield with a few year-end financial planning tips. Stay right here. You're listening to Motley Fool Money. Welcome back to Motley Fool Money. I'm Chris Hill. Megan Brinsfield is a certified financial planner and the director of financial planning at Motley Fool Wealth Management. And she joins me now in Studio 5. Thanks for being here. Thank you for having me. I'm excited. So, I wanted to talk to you about year-end tips around taxes because I know you are one of those people who genuinely loves the world of taxes. I do. Did you see my eyes light up? I know. I know. That's how I knew you were going to be like, yes, if that's what we're going to talk about, I'm all in. So, and, and it always makes me smile in an odd way when I see articles online that are usually coming out literally the last week of the year saying, hey, here's some last minute tax tips. And I always think, who wants to deal with that in just the last couple of days of the year? So, let's get this in now while people have a few weeks before the holiday. What are a couple of things that people can do in the next few weeks to help out with taxes next year. Yeah, the general idea in taxes is that you want to accelerate deductions and defer income. So when we talk about deductions, it could be anything like traditional IRA contributions that you make sure you get in this year, charitable donations, or even medical expenses. So if you think you'll be able to deduct your medical expenses, and remember there is a 7.5% of your income hurdle to get over, but if it's been a big medical year for for you, any additional uh, costs that you can fit into this year are going to be deductible for you. So if that means you move up, you know, a major medical visit like LASIK surgery or getting glasses or uh, other things that that might be big items for you, you know, f- fill your prescriptions, get that three month prescription filled ahead of time, um, just so you can deduct those things. And I'm sure you're getting lots of mail right now from all sorts of charities that are asking you for donations. So, if you do write a check, even if it's not cashed until 2019, you can still deduct it on your 2018 taxes. In terms of uh, new tax laws that may have been enacted this year, is there anything that people need to know, anything new or different or curious? The biggest difference between last year and this year is related to itemized deductions. There are a lot fewer people who are going to be able to itemize because of that limitation on state and local tax deductions. So everything from your personal property tax, here in Virginia you have a car tax, uh, real estate taxes, and state income tax payments, those are all in the aggregate limited to $10,000. So if you're a high earner living in a high income state, 
state, you're likely to be affected by this, and you may even be taking the standard deduction this year instead of the itemized. So, your day job as a financial planner, what is the most common question that you and your team get at Motley Fool Wealth Management? Unsurprisingly, people just want to know if they have enough to retire. And the first question that I ask in return is, how much are you spending? And most people don't know the answer to that question. So, I think that that's an important starting point. It's really the pivot around which all financial planning rests, is how much money do you need to maintain your lifestyle? I guess if you're thrifty, then you're probably a lot further along than the average person. Right. And it's not... What is surprising to a lot of people is that it's not about how much you earn necessarily. It's about how much you're saving and the delta between what you need and what you have are. So, obviously, at The Motley Fool, we focus very heavily on stocks. And I imagine that at least some of the questions that you and your team get are around investments in a given person's portfolio, which is one of those things that is kind of hard to overcome on an gut level, just if you think about sunk costs and and individual companies, how do people look at their investment portfolio with the proverbial fresh set of eyes? Are there any guidelines that you and the team provide to help people do that? I think there are a few ways you can do that. The first is if you do have like an objective third party that can take a look at your portfolio, that's something that will help evaluate stocks that you may have kind of an emotional reaction to that someone who doesn't own the stock and personally may be um, more open to making changes to that. So if you do have an advisor, kind of checking in with them this time of year is good. Um, the other thing. To to do is to find an online like risk assessment tool and take that quiz and compare the results to your actual portfolio. A lot of times we're just thinking year to year changes rather than literally starting anew and comparing that to what you have. What is your experience with the people that you work with, the clients that you have in terms of their tolerance for risk? Are people more risk averse? than they think they are, or are they actually able to tolerate more risk than they initially think? I think there's a big misconception that age equals risk in some way. I'll listen to people who say, well, I'm in my 70s, so I have to be conservative. And that's not necessarily the case. In the traditional trajectory, yes, as you get older, you need to rely on that money more. But what I tend to see is folks that uh, have been diligent savers, but have enough income from Social Security, pensions, rental, etc., to cover their ongoing expenses. And so, they're not relying on their portfolios in the same way that someone is that doesn't have all those other income streams. So, it is really more personal than just saying, well, I'm, I'm older, I need to have more conservative allocation. Our email address is radio at fool.com. We got a great question from a young listener named Ellis Laura. Um, he writes, with Christmas right around the corner, I have a few questions on gifting stocks. Um, this is a young guy who's looking to gift stocks to his younger sisters. Uh, and he writes, my hope is that they will see the benefits of investing and eventually start adding money on their own. Um, I won't go into all the details of his email, but he, he's basically asking, what's the most efficient way to gift stocks to young people without impacting their ability 
to obtain financial aid for college. And by the way, I just love that he's asking this question at all. It's it's amazing that he has this kind of foresight as a young man himself, and that he's trying to instill the benefits of investing to his younger sisters. It's really great. It is so admirable. And I took that view as well when I read the email. I thought, oh, I wish I was this thoughtful <laughs> or had younger sisters, one of the two. <laughs> really, the, the first thing to consider with financial aid is kind of understanding these high-level formulas that take place in terms of what the government calls your expected family contribution. They'll gather information about your assets and income, both for parents and the child that's going to be attending school. And the idea is that a child's assets can contribute a lot more than the parent's assets. Uh, It's almost four times as much that the child's assets are expected to contribute to college. So in general, it's frowned upon to give stocks to kids who are going to college because they're going to be expected to use that asset in order to pay. So one thing that you might consider in order to um, avoid having that impact on financial aid is not necessarily gifting the stocks to them outright, but perhaps setting up a separate account in your own name that you collaborate with the younger sisters on and then transfer ownership to them later after they're kind of out of the financial aid system, which would be as early as their senior year in college. Um, Another consideration is if they are working, setting up a retirement account because retirement accounts do not uh, count towards that expected family contribution calculation. So that's also an option. Uh, Last question for you, because it seems like any time I talk to you, you seem really busy. And so I'm just curious, because we were talking right before we started taping, you know, uh, it's a busy time because there's a lot of year-end stuff. Um, you were telling me about this this penalty around IRAs that I had no idea was so punitive. It's if you're, what, if you're 70 and a half, if you're not taking money out, you're going to be punished in a big way, right? Big trouble. Yeah. I said, it's RMD season. And if, you, if you're over 70 and, and a half... And if you're half, like me and you go, wait, what is RMD season stands for (laughs) required minimum distributions. And that's the IRS's way of making sure that they get to tax your money. So all these years that you've been socking away on a pre-tax basis, they want to make sure they can get their paws on it at some point. So once you turn 70 and a half, you have to start taking a portion of money out each year. So for in December, it's that time for procrastinators to get their required minimum distributions in. Uh, and if you don't do it in a given calendar year, the penalty is 50% of what you should have taken. So it's really important to get that done. There are waivers, but you don't want to be asking for forgiveness every year. You want to just make sure it gets done quickly. So, you're dealing with stuff like that in the month of December. Obviously, the calendar is going to turn, and then people are going to start thinking about their taxes. When do you get to relax? When do you get to say, I'm going to go stick my toes in the sand and be on a beach somewhere for a while? That's a good question. I'll have to get back to you. (laughs) (laughs) If you want to learn more from Megan Brinsfield and her team, you can go to foolwealth.com. Megan Brinsfield, thanks for being here. Thanks, Chris. Coming up, we'll give you an inside look at the stocks on our radar. You're listening to Motley Fool Money. All right, before we get to the stocks on our radar, quick shout out to Grammarly. 
Grammarly is a communication app that helps people improve their writing to be mistake-free, clear, and effective. They help people show their best self through writing, and it's available across platforms, including online browser extension, desktop editor, and mobile keyboard checker. Their free product reviews critical spelling and grammar. But Grammarly Premium looks out for spelling, grammar, advanced punctuation, structure, style within context, vocabulary suggestions, conciseness, readability for different occasions. So whatever you're writing for, if you're a student and you're writing for school, if you're posting your used stuff online to get more customers, if you're updating your resume, you're looking to get that callback, you got to check out Grammarly. It's available across platforms, including online, desktop, and mobile. I just started using Grammarly. It's fantastic. I mean, I'm pretty good at spelling. I'm pretty good at grammar. I'm not great at punctuation, so the advanced punctuation uh, definitely is helping me out. It just makes you a better communicator. And you can go to Grammarly.com slash fool and get 20% off your Grammarly premium account today. That's Grammarly.com slash fool and get 20% off your Grammarly premium account. As always, people on the program may have interest in the stocks they talk about, and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against, so don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. Welcome back to Motley Fool Money. Chris Hill here in studio once again with Jason Moser, Matt Argusinger, and Ron Gross. Our email address is radio at fool.com. Write us, won't you? Please. We're lonely. Email from Nick Burgess in Atlanta, Georgia. Thanks for the amazing content and helping me understand the stock market better one day at a time. I'm 26 years old and a beginning investor. A lot of brokerage services like Stash and Acorns advertise that you can start investing with as little as $5 since the service utilizes fractional shares. As someone with not a ton of startup capital, are fractional shares a good idea? What on earth are fractional <laughs> shares, and how do they work? Ron? Well, kudos for starting on your investing journey at 26 years old. Well done. Fractional shares are simply, um, some brokers will allow you to buy less than one full share of a company's stock. So, let's use Amazon as an example. Maybe you can't afford $1,670 for one share of Amazon, and some brokers will allow you to buy a fraction of that, thus allowing you to become a part owner of Amazon, but perhaps for not a full share. It's actually a great thing. Those uh, uh, listeners who are familiar with dividend reinvestment plans or drip plans will be familiar with um, the concept of fractional ownership. It, it's a it's a great thing. I would just just some brokers do charge commissions or fees, so just be careful that whatever transaction cost you're paying is not too big a percent of the amount of capital you are committing to that particular investment. Nick's question also makes me wonder if we've seen the end of share splits. I mean, we've we've seen a declining number of companies wanting to do share splits, because in the past, it was done for various reasons, but one of the reasons was to enable retail investors to buy shares. And now that you can do fractional shares, there really isn't a need for a lot of share, you know, companies to split their stock. I'm curious, uh, Ron, when mm-hmm. it comes to sort of dividend-paying stocks, are you someone who prefers to get the cash, because there are some where you can automatically like reinvest those dividends and get more shares? So I have two answers to this. Personally, I reinvest my dividends, so I don't have to think about it. Professionally, when I manage money, I would always take them in cash, so I can then accumulate the cash and redeploy it into the best opportunities I saw at any particular time. Uh, two things before we get to the stocks on our radar. Uh, first, we're hiring here at the Motley Fool, not Woo-hoo. just here in Alexandria, but also in our office in Colorado. 
We are looking for developers, investors, content strategists, performance marketing manager, which, as I understand, is a very hot job these days. So sounds good. So uh, you can check out all of our jobs by going to careers.fool.com. That's careers.fool.com. Uh, second, if you have an Amazon Echo or a Google Home Assistant, you can listen to all of the Motley Fool's podcasts over your device. But Jason, did you know you can also get the Motley Fool's daily news briefing? Just look for The Motley Fool on your Amazon Echo or Google Home app, and click subscribe, and then you are good to go every day, seven days a week on your home assistant. I did know that, Chris. And you want to know why? Because <laughs> you participate in that? Not only that, but I also use it. Whenever I get home and I'm in the kitchen cooking dinner, I tell my Echo to just tell me what's in the news. And quite conveniently, she goes straight to our stock. Just watch. make sure to hide the bear repellent. My kids used to think that was pretty cool. Now they're over. Yeah, <laughs> yeah it doesn't last long. Uh, last thing before we get to the stocks on our radar, and our man behind the glass, Dan Boyd, is going to hit you with a question. Uh, also behind the glass this week, shout out to our special guest, Nick, Ian Yee, and his son, Aiden, who are visiting us. Thanks for, hey, out with us. Thanks for coming. Appreciate it. All right, Ron Gross, what are you looking at this week? I've got Equinix, E-Q-I-X. Now, they're an internet-focused Real Estate Investment Trust, a REIT, that operates 200 data centers, 52 metro areas, 24 countries, five continents. So they're kind of the backbone of the internet. They're the hub that makes the internet flow and operate um, efficiently. Uh, they've got a strong competitive advantage. It's very hard to re- replicate. They've got great strategic locations. They're going to certainly capitalize on the, the growing data consumption and the cloud outsourcing. The, as our, all our device counts go up, they'll benefit from that. Management is really strong, a very long track record of creating value. Stock has a 2.4% yield. REITs are typically known for their yield. I like both it from a yield perspective as well as an appreciation one. Before we go to Dan, I have a question of my own. This does not strike me as a Ron Gross type of business. How did you find this one? Well, it's a, it's a total income recommendation because of that 2.4% yield. All right, Dan Boyd, question about Equinix? Yeah, Ron, uh, so last <laughs> week you brought a chemical manufacturer, and now you're bringing me a data center real estate investor. You're Could welcome. you please find more interesting stocks for me next time? You'll ha- give me a list of what you're interested in, and just, Not for, that. You, just for you, I will Not that, Ron. All right, <laughs> Not du- that. duly noted. <laughs> Uh, Jason Moser, what are you looking at? I this feel week? like the snoring sound effect would be appropriate. I mean, appropriate for like uh, when Ron starts this. You know what though? To Ron's point though, if you like uh, if you like yield, yeah, this, well, this might like be yield, one. Who kids. doesn't like yield? Um, okay, yeah, I'm going with uh, Apple ticker AAPL. They make this thing called the iPhone. You've probably heard of it. Um, I, so I, I was thinking about this. You know, this is a great time of the year. The holiday season is a great time of year. If you have kids, you want to get into investing. Uh, Apple makes a great stock to get them started. I mean, it's something they probably understand. They've seen the phones, the devices everywhere. So, if you have someone in your life and you want to get them started investing, hey, take a look at Apple because I think the shares actually represent a pretty good value right now. There's a big headline out there that iPhones are starting to slow down. And be that as it may, this is still a massive company. And there is a younger user base that's coming up, and they will continue to use those iPhones and iPads. Um, I think they will do very well pivoting towards services as time goes on. We'll get some more uh, clarity into the costs that go into the services side of that business as well. You can't discount what they're going to come out with in the future. They've got more resources than fill in the blank. And, and I mean, at the end of the day, this is Apple, one of the most important companies in the world. I think the pullback in shares represents a good opportunity. 
Dan, question about Apple? Well, Jason, you mentioned a younger user base, and I was curious to know if your children can expect any Apple products in their stockings (laughs) this Christmas. I can neither confirm nor deny this at this point, Dan, because... They I don't be think they listen, but there's a there's a chance it could happen. So I just I can't commit to anything right now. I just like that your kids are are using the Amazon Echo device in your home, but it's really just to try and get clues as to what's going to be under the tree on Christmas morning. Oh well, let me tell you, the the make and announcement thing is just caught I, fire. Oh, I, I just started using three it. floors, and man, we just got all sorts of, of stuff going back and forth. They love it. Matt Argusinger, what are you looking at this week? Well, we talked about uh, the home builders earlier. They've been just bludgeoned this year with rising interest rates and uh, lower affordability, especially among new homeowners. Uh, so, NVR, ticker NVR, uh, it's actually a favorite of John Rutanti's in our investing group here at The Fool. It's got a great management team, great track record, excellent returns on capital. It's the only publicly traded home builder, by the way, uh, which remained profitable through the housing crash. Whoa. So, really impressive. So, if you'd like to bet on a rebound in the home builders, I'd start with NVR. Dan, question about NVR. Maddie, will I ever be able to afford a house in a place I want to live? <laughs> uh, absolutely not. That's no longer a, a possibility, Dan. I'm sorry. That's too bad. Yeah. Uh, I'm going to go on a limb and assume that Ronstock is not one that uh, Dan wants to add to his watch list. So, uh, Dan, between That's Apple. unfair. Uh, you know what? You're right. It is unfair. Right. Dan, three stocks Thank Equinix, you. Apple, NVR. Do you have one you would like to add to your watch list? Well, I hate to turn my back on my current champion, Jay Mo. But I prefer NVR from Matty Argerson yes, today. There you go. One last thing on Fixed. Apple. Is it just me, or is there just a, a drumbeat of analysts on Wall Street who just continually to downgrade that stock? Well, let me tell you, I will say, I just got the the, the 10R, the new iPhone, and I, I am underwhelmed. I mean, I went from a 6 to a 10R, and I kind of missed the 6. I mean, the changes are so incremental now, they got to come up with something more special, I think. Wall Street analysts are in the business about the, of the next 12 months, so don't always focus on that if you're a longer-term investor. Ron Gross, Jason Moser, Matt Argerson. Singer guys, thanks for being here. Thanks, Thanks Chris. Chris. That's going to do it for this week's edition of Motley Fool Money. Our engineer is Dan Boyd. Our producer is Matt Greer. I'm Chris Hill. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next week. Hey.